God, you are the lover of our souls. In redeeming us, you have done what only you can. We confess this morning in utter dependence upon you. We ask this morning that you might draw us once again to the things that your great love has moved us to, that moved us when we were first saved. We confess, Lord, that many cares have drawn us away from fellowship with you and with your people. We praise you, God, for Jesus Christ and his sacrificial love toward us. Help us, Lord, be marked by our worship of you and our care for one another. In our body, we've been full of illness this week and this morning. We ask for your healing hand upon um, Doug Wilhelm this morning. Please heal the coffin uh, that he might be able to rest in you. Um, I ask that you be with the children's family in his recovery. I ask also, Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon uh, Cliff Howard and his family as he recovers from hip replacement. I pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes now to worship you, be in the midst of us and teach us from your word. Um, I pray that you would have your way with my friends that meet at Selwood Baptist this morning, be with our friends at Baker Creek, and may all who gather this morning praise the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so here we are in, uh, he's actually here this morning. Jerry made it here this morning. He was in the hospital with some heart issues, and I was, we were talking about going to visit him after service today, but um, we, don't, we, we don't have to visit us. Great so praise the Lord for that. So let's dive in to um, Acts chapter 2. Uh, I will begin in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So the church here is born. God gave the newly converted, transformed believers over to a new life, dedicated and devoted to a unified common faith in a common Savior, drawn together in common praise, and he formed them into a community with a common purpose. Matthew Henry says this, Christianity will dispose the soul to communion with God in all the ways wherein he has appointed us to meet with him and has promised to meet with us. Now, I would like to rephrase Matthew Henry, not that I'm smarter than he is, okay? But, but I, I just didn't so much like the term as he, as he stated this, that Christianity will do that to us. That, so I want to rephrase him just a bit and, and, and reread that quote. Christ's saving work and the indwelling Holy Spirit will dispose the soul to communion with God in all those ways wherein he has appointed us to meet with him and has promised to meet with us. I think that that is the gist and the heart of what we're going to see in our text this morning is that God disposed the people to be in fellowship with him and in fellowship with 
each other. Amen. So there's a lot written today and sometimes debated about the philosophy of Christian ministry as it pertains to orthopraxy. That is, ortho being right and praxis meaning practice. Some folks, for the sake of unity of the body in a universal sense, will say that there is no orthopraxy or there is no right practice in the church that applies to churches in all places at all times. Again, me not being smarter than anybody else, but I think that ultimately that this scripture does not bear that out. Right. You might recall from Leviticus um, chapter 9 that there was a prescription for sacrifice and for worship. And God, consuming their worship in fire, the Israelite response was to shout in praise and in fear and in awe of God, fall on their faces. And then what follows in chapter 10 of Leviticus is that Nadab and Abihu bring an unauthorized fire before the Lord, and then they are struck dead. And in verse 3 of chapter 10, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. Jesus further said in the Gospel of John chapter 4, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in my own thinking, in my own words, the people of God are those who by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit become a people who worship God, God's way, for God's glory. The people of God are continually, steadfastly devoted to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God in awestruck worship and adoration to the God who is fitting them for their heavenly prize in Christ Jesus. This leads them to a devotion to God's word, to God's people, and orients their affections and priorities away from materialism and self-glorification and looking towards what Paul writes to us and we studied in Titus, that, that looking towards this idea that we live for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. If we look backwards in Acts at um, chapter 1, uh, verse 8, um, we see here in verse one, uh, chapter 1 and in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the promised Holy Spirit gave us a purpose life. It gave a purpose life for those who would believe. Jesus promised that power and purpose would come from the Holy Spirit. The power belongs to the Holy Spirit and will empower those who God poured it out on for the purpose of effective witness. I think that this is really good news for us on a couple of fronts. One, we will receive power to witness. What does it mean to be a witness? It means to be able to tell the truth about Jesus. We'll be empowered to tell the truth about Jesus. And secondly, in the power of the Holy Spirit, our witness effectiveness is not determined on us. It is predetermined by the God who poured it out. That is, that the Holy Spirit will not fail to reach those 
whom God intends to receive it. And we know this from the end of our uh, look in the text we're looking at this morning, at the end of Acts 2, uh, in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, as this church was forming, as this new people of God were forming, they were through men from every nation under heaven. If we look back at Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, that there were Jews and proselytes from every nation under heaven with differing languages. And the Holy Spirit accomplished in them a unity that they could not accomplish in themselves. Now the church, see, it began in dynamic power. When we look at, at um, chapter 2, verse 17, cited from the prophet Joel, that God declares he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. This pouring out indicates from the Greek a completeness or a full pouring out with nothing held back. God spared nothing of his spirit and empowered these newly transformed souls to become a people who held nothing back in their devotion and dedication as awestruck worshipers of the God who saved them. In 2.41, it said, So those who received his word were baptized, and, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if we look at, at verse 42, I want to begin by defining a couple of things that we're going to see in this that changed my thinking about what this text spoke to me. I used to think of this as a doing kind of thing, that this is what they were doing, and that this was all about how they were um, performing, that because they were saved, they were performing these things. I even, I even preached it that way before, in that, that we ought to be about these simple things, right, that we ought to be doing these things, that if we're, if we're a healthy church and we're going in the right direction, that we would be doing all of these things. But in further study, I came to another deeper, more full understanding, I believe, um, that I would like to share that with you this morning. So in the King James of verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Well, see, this idea as, and they continued. When we read this, our tendency is to think of this phrase as indicative of what they were doing. But in the Greek sense of the verb, it really is indicative of being rather than doing. So as we read verse 42, let us think in terms of a description of what God has made them to be rather than a prescription for what they were to do. In the ESV, the word to describe what their new being had become because of who God had been for them was devoted. And that is that they were given over to an unremitting care for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And these souls who were saved, they were like us. They were once those who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And under the wrath of God were given over to all manner of further unrighteousness. These souls cut to the heart by the spirit and power preaching of the word of God through Peter, repented, 
and believed and were baptized. These were now, by God, given over to a new set of priorities. This early church would be marked by these four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. We could perhaps view all of these individual marks under one overriding mark of that first church. They were given over to an unremitting care and desire to worship the God who saved them and to do so in every area of their life. So they have these four priorities that God had given them over to, this unremitting care for. These things that God devoted them to, that they were devoted to. See, God devoted them to them. Right? God devoted them to these things. One, the apostles' teaching. Well, what would be the apostles' teaching in that time would be the eyewitness accounts coupled with the Old Testament teachings concerning Jesus. Notice the message that they heard that cut them to the heart was from the prophet Joel as Peter preached it. Now, their concerns or their giving over to um, the apostles' teaching is born of a desire not just to know merely the Bible of God, but to know the God of the Bible, to know Jesus in an ever-increasing way, to know Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures, and to know Jesus by the word of the testimony to those whom he, Christ, had, as in chapter 1, verse 3 says, presented himself alive by many infallible, infallible proofs. That was the first mark of their giving over to a life of worship. Secondly, they were given over in fellowship. They were given over to an unremitting care to be in fellowship with Christ's followers. Their commitment, most assuredly, would have progressed the early church toward unity, toward unity in the faith, toward unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, that would have matured them toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as is written in Ephesians chapter 4. Thirdly, we see that, that this giving over would have given them over to this idea of the breaking of bread. In that culture, table fellowship was of tremendous significance for the first um, century Mediterranean cultures. So being invited to a meal signified deep friendship, intimacy, and unity. The idea was that as they broke off a piece of bread and you ate it, that you became one with those who broke off a piece from the same loaf, that we were now intimately connected, that the food that I had pulled off and put into me, you also had, and therefore we were connected, we were united in that way. That is what uh, they were devoted to, they were turned over to by God, devoted to. And then, Lastly, the fourth thing that they were um, engaged in, that they were devoted to, that God had um, given them unremitting care for, they were given over to an instantaneous and constant declaration of dependence upon the grace and mercy of God who saved them through prayer. I ask myself this, am I given over to an instantaneous and constant declaration of my dependence upon God? In prayer, and help in that area from the Holy Spirit to be 
committed to being instantaneous, to be turned over to prayer, that my response in the times of trouble, my response in times of good, uh, good news, when I hear good news, my response ought to be to pray and praise Him. My response in trouble ought to be to turn in prayer and declare my dependence upon Him for all that I am. Well, let's look at verse um, 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, from God's glorious revelation of himself to these souls for salvation, as they were living a life given over to an unremitting care for the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, God continued to reveal himself through the apostles, creating in them a further reverent awe or fear of God. It seems as though that a life of worship begets further glorious reason for reverent awe and worship of God. Do you get this? That when they were given over to the worship of God and they were in His presence, right? That, that God made Himself known to them in a never-increasing way and then they were struck with awe and fear of the awesomeness of God, which would beget even more worship. Do we have an adequate awe and fear of the majesty of God? Are we engaged in a life of worship? Well, these are questions to ponder for sure in our heart. Are we engaged in a life? If our, is our life marked like that? That we are worshipers of God. That God has devoted us to and committed us over and turned us over to a new life. Has God turned us over? Well, let's look at 40, 44 through 46. And we're going to see that God then gave this, these people a new community. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. God's people were given over to a new community and a new and unremitting care for each other. In this commitment, their affections and priorities were reoriented away from materialism and self-glorification toward affections for and a priority to the community of God that he had created for them in Christ Jesus. This new community were committed to one another and the worship of God in the temple, as well as committed to living daily in the unity of the Spirit. The community was united in worship as it was part of their life, in their homes, each day of the week. Their sense of the life of the church is that the community gathered in love whether formally or informally, every day. Every day is worthy of praise and gathering together for the mutual benefit of one another to the praise and the glory of the God who has saved them. And with generous hearts, they were prepared to give to any need that might arise. I ask us this question because I've asked this of myself, and I ask it of you this morning too. Are we prepared to give? Notice that they were prepared to. Are we prepared to give? 
Do we prepare ourselves for that? When our brothers or our sisters have need, have we beforehand been orient, orientated to prioritize our material blessings that we might be of help without any hesitation? Worship is something, is not something that we simply just feel. Worship isn't the name we give some experience that we seek while singing, lifting our hands, or closing our eyes. It's something we do with our bodies in all of life. We can worship God through our eating, drinking, typing, speaking, cooking, driving, and countless other ways. We worship God whenever we perform an act out of a desire to draw attention to His greatness, especially revealed in sending His Son as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. This is from Bob Coughlin. Let's look at verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. As the church was praising God for his amazing grace, for his unifying love, God imparts to them grace upon grace. They were winning favor among the community of believers. They were bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. And the Lord added daily to the household of faith. I know that this message may be brief for us this morning. But these are things I think that we ought to contemplate. Have we gotten away from the things that God at first gave us over to? Do you remember when you were first captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and God's saving work for you? Remember that time when you were first captured by his love for you and how you were so excited about who he was Amen. that you couldn't help but want to be in praise of him all the time? Do you remember the times when you just couldn't wait to be in fellowship with another brother or sister? Because they shared this great truth about Jesus Christ and who God had been for them. Do you remember those times when it was brand new and you were fresh and excited? I remember it. I remember it well. I remember times I just couldn't wait to be with my other brothers and sisters every day of the week. Because I could meet with someone and they just knew this Jesus that I knew. And they can impart um, the, the great story of his great love for them in a way that I could relate to, in a way that I could share with them. Amen. It was an exciting time. And have we gotten away from that, from those things that God at first he gave us over to? Had the cares of the world that we live in drawn us away from a life of worship? Have the things of this world drawn us away from a desire to be in fellowship? I ask this question. Do our affections need to be reoriented? Maybe we might need a course correction. A correction like Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. In verses 4 through 5, he tells them, You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. Remember the first things. I know that God has devoted us 
and, and transformed us and changed us over to a new life. And we became worshipers of God because of God's great love for us. We wouldn't worship, we would not worship, we are a strange bunch of people who come into a school like this uh, on a day like this to gather around to worship God. We're a strange group of folks, if you think about the world and outside of us, right? We're, we're a strange group of folks. But it's because of God's great love for us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for each one of us. And he said, you know what? I've got a new life for you. You were devoted to, you were committed to these things that brought about the wrath of God. You were committed to those things at one time. And God said, I sent my son that I might devote you to something else. I have you devoted. I have you set apart for something else. And this is what he's talking about in this church. I have devoted you to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I have devoted you to a life of worship. I devoted you to a life that you couldn't choose yourself, that you wouldn't choose yourself. I know that the life that I live, I was devoted to a worship of myself. I was devoted to a worship of me. What can I have? What can I get? How can I make my life easier, even if that meant at the expense of others? But God had transformed the people and said, you people, I have devoted you to an unremitting care for my word, an unremitting care to know the person of Jesus Christ and to make him known in the community that you live in, in the community of believers that you gather with, to be a witness to me, to tell the truth about Jesus to the world, by your love for one another and your love for me, a seeking after just knowing Jesus in an ever-increasing way. Why would they have been committed to the Word of God, to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' doctrine? in such, in such a, a powerful way. Because they heard this truth about Jesus Christ and what he'd done for them. And the Holy Spirit revealed that that was true to them. The Holy Spirit revealed to them that they indeed were now saved and transformed people. And I, know, I don't know if, if this was true for you, but at first, you knew Jesus in this way, in this same way, but all you wanted to do was to know him. To know him even further. To know that when you open up the pages of the scriptures, and every time you read it, you meet him. And he meets you. And he shows you a little bit more about who he is. These people were devoted to knowing Jesus Christ together in community in a new way. Will we be those who after being drawn away, it's so easy to be drawn away by many other things, isn't it? It's so easy to be drawn away by other affections. But today, will you and I, will we as a church, commit to this? Will we commit to asking Christ and the Holy Spirit to bring us away from the abandoning of God's love for us and give us a renewed love for Him? 
a renewed desire to be in his presence, to be with his people, to be people who just long for nothing more than to know Jesus in an ever-increasing way in our own lives personally, to make Jesus known in this body in an ever-increasing way. Because God gives us a promise that if, if we are doing those things, at the end of this, he says, and in their praise of God for all of this, he gave him favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who would say, the Lord added. I pray that the Lord would cause us to fall in love with Jesus again, like it was brand new. Like it was that girl the first time that saw her across the room like I did with my wife and said, that has to be my wife, right? <laughs> I wish you would give us that kind of love again, like a renewed love that says, man, all I want to do is to know Jesus. And when we do that, guess what? I think God puts, stirs us in, us in our hearts this as this works itself outwardly in the world. I've come to know Jesus in an ever-increasing way and I cannot wait to tell you about him. I want you to know him. I want to know Jesus, but I want you all to know him. I want you to know the Jesus that I know. I pray that the Lord would do that in us and for us. Let's pray. I praise you, God, for your word. I praise you for your love for us. I praise you that you have devoted us to a care to know you further, a care to be in fellowship, one with another, to help one another grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would be those who would be committed to a lifestyle of worship, a life that is worshipful of the Lord as we gather corporately on Sunday. But, Lord, that you would stir in us a desire to be in fellowship with one another Monday through Sunday, sharing life together, sharing the love of Christ together, encouraging one another to know Jesus, to know Jesus deeper and further. And again, Lord, I, I trust and, and praise you and know, Lord, that you will add daily to those amongst us who are being saved. I give you praise and thanks in your son's name. Amen.